couple of apologies are in order this morning. First, those in the parking lot. Uh, last year, last week, last Sunday, there was a, um, a change of the frequency that got bumped in our transmitter, the FM transmitter, and so you got fuzz and instead of the message. So apologize for that. Unfortunately, um, we also had a hiccup in the recording, so um, there's not much of a recording, but um, I'm thinking about re-recording it, so if you all want to stay a couple hours, I'll do last week's sermon too. Is that, is that, uh, just kidding. I, I wouldn't do that. Last week, we began our study of Ephesians, asking the question, who am I? Who am I? Our identity in Christ, the question of identity. And we talked about how our background and the world around us influences our perceptions of who we are. We talked about the only way that we can really get an accurate picture of who we are is to know who we are in God's eyes, who we are in the eyes of Jesus. We saw that God views us as believers, if we are believers and and have asked Jesus to be our Savior, as new creations. We've been born again. We have a, a, a clean slate. It's like starting brand new. We also found that God sees us as saints, Saints, persons who are set apart as special. Saints, not because of something we've done, but because of what God has done. We're saints because of what God has done through Jesus. He made us saints. We found that we were chosen by God, chosen by God, and it happened before creation, long time ago. Before creation, it wasn't by chance, it wasn't random, but it was by plan and design. That's God's plan. We also found that we were made holy and blameless. So we are set apart as special, that we have an exclusive relationship with God himself. Exclusive in the sense of loving him first and foremost. We found that we are also adopted into his family, into God's family. We were orphans separated from God because of our our sin, but he adopted us as children of God, and we get to become part of God's family. That was all in the first part of Ephesians 1. Today we're going to look at four more actions that were taken by God, and hopefully we'll be able to unpack some other parts of our identity and who we are in Christ. So we're going to turn to Ephesians 1 again, uh, starting with verse 7. It's on page 947 in the Bible in the rack in front of you, if you want to follow that, or we'll have it also on the uh, PowerPoint in front of you. Ephesians 1, starting with verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good, purpose, good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Four actions taken by God. Four actions. Part of our, our identity, who we are. The, the first one that we see today is that we were, God bought us back. God bought us back. It says, in him we have redemption, or God redeemed us. 
Now, we don't use the word redeem very often today. We cut coupons out of a flyer and bring them to the grocery store or the drug store, and we redeem our coupons. That's, that's redeeming a coupon. But the, the biblical meaning of redeem is far deeper than that. It re, really means to buy back, to buy back, to own it once, to lose ownership, and to buy it back, okay? Own once, lose ownership, and then to buy back. Now, there's a classic story that illustrates this concept of redemption, Once upon a time, there was a 10-year-old boy who, with the help of his grandfather, made a toy boat. They worked long and hard to to carve the hull out of one piece of wood. They added a cabin and, and masts and sails, even tiny lifeboats and flags. Then they carved his initials in it and painted it. It was the most beautiful boat you've ever seen. This boat was This boy's only toy, and all summer long, every day, he took his boat down to the river to sail it. One day, near the end of the summer, it happened. The string attached to the boat broke, and before the boy knew it, his precious boat, his only toy, was swept far out of reach by the river's current. The boy chased it as far as he could, but soon it was lost from his sight. It was gone. He was heartbroken. He had made every part of that boat. He had carefully crafted and worked until he had this beautiful creation. And now, it was gone. As all little boys would do, he dreamed that someday his boat would return. Several months passed, and one day the boy was walking through the the, 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 the streets in the city where he lived. And to his total s- surprise, in a second-hand shop window, he saw it, his boat. He was so excited he could hardly contain himself, and he dashed into the store for a closer look. And yes, it was his boat. He remembered all the details, even his initials carved into the boat. Excitedly, he went up to the shop owner and, and pointed to his boat, He said, that's my boat. I lost it, and you found it. Well, the shopkeeper answered, I bought it. Paid good money. It's not yours. It's it's mine. But I made it, and I lost it, cried the little boy. Finally, the shopkeeper said, I'll tell you what. I'll hold it for you until you can buy it. Determined. The little boy went home, and for the next several months, he worked odd jobs, any job he could work to earn and save every penny. Finally, the day came. The little boy made his way back to the secondhand shop and proudly plunked down the money for the boat. The old shopkeeper smiled, and as he brought the boat out from the back room, he handed it to the boy. As the boy took the boat in his hands, He lovingly caressed it and said, First, I made you. Now, I bought you. You're twice mine. Twice mine. Created, lost, bought back. That is redemption. Redemption. That's the story of people. That's, that's our story. We were created by God. We were lost, separated from God. 
and then found and bought back. We were, were redeemed. We were bought back by Jesus. Now, how, how did he do that? How did Jesus buy us back? In verse 7, it says he bought us back through his blood, through his blood. Now, a lot of people find the concept of violence and, and bloodshed that we find in the story of Jesus and his crucifixion. But it's through the shedding of his blood that Jesus bought us back. He bought us back. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Hebrews 9, 11 to 12 says the same thing. It says, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that were already there, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. That was the Old Testament. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Redeemed. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Revelation 5.9 said, And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and people and nation. The blood of Jesus, his death, his death is what redeemed you and me. And and there's not just one person, one people group, or one nation that put Jesus to death. We were all responsible for that death of Jesus. That was the price he paid to buy us back, to buy us back. That's redemption, redemption, to be bought back. So what did it bring? What did it it bring? In verse 7, it says it brought us Forgiveness of sins. Has anybody here ever needed forgiveness? My hands up, yeah. At least every day. Ask Judy, ask my kids. You know, we need forgiveness. Most of us think we're pretty good people, and many are, but God's standard is perfection. None of us is perfect, and the Bible says we all fall short. All of us. It means we, no matter how good we are, we may be 30% to 100% trying to get to that 100%. Maybe we're at 70%. Maybe we're 97%, but we all fall short of that 100%. Where None of us can reach perfection. We all need forgiveness. And we're like that little toy boat floating away, getting lost, needing to be found and needing to be bought back and brought back. And being brought back, having forgiveness, is part of who we are. It's our identity in Christ, having that forgiveness, forgiven, being forgiven. Again, our value is based on what God was willing to pay. We talked about that last week. God was willing to pay his life for yours. We live in a culture that devalues human life. But God values our lives so much that he died to save us. We also live in a culture that seems to be devoid of forgiveness. Forgiveness is ridiculed. It's thought to be a sign of weakness. As Jesus, an innocent man, hung on the cross being executed, he forgave his executioners. And then he brought forgiveness to us. 
Sometimes we just need to hear about this forgiveness that we have because we deal with something called guilt. 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 And, and Jesus came not to just deliver us from guilty feelings so we feel better. It used to be you go to a counselor and the counselor would just try to help you feel better, make you feel good about what you did wrong. Instead, that's, that's guilt feelings. We're not talking about guilt feelings. We're talking about real guilt. And Jesus came to bring us free, freedom from real guilt. And there are two phrases in this, in this passage that describe this freedom from real guilt. It's the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. Now, if you're going to take one word that describes that, that incredible action that God took, that Jesus took, it might be extravagant. It's ex- like it's extravagant forgiveness. What comes to your mind when, I th- when you think about the word extravagant? What comes to mind? I'm thinking about that. Um, wasteful? I think about ex- extravagant lives of the rich and famous, if you've ever seen that, where they have limousines with a bathtub. Seriously? Yeah, they do. They have limousines with bathtubs. Swimming pools lined with Italian tile made to look like a natural creek and pond with waterfalls and whatever it might be. Your own personal Learjet or maybe your own yacht or whatever. We think about extravagance. We think it's wasteful. Well, this forgiveness that is given to you and me is so amazing that it's expressed as extravagant. So over the top, so incredible that it's almost wasteful. It's way more than we need. It's like this incredible forgiveness. It's lavished. When you think about lavish, it's just covered, smothered, given. That's the grace. That's the forgiveness that's given to you and to me. The great buyback brought forgiveness of sins. Secondly, through this great buyback, this this redemption, number two, God revealed his purpose. God revealed his purpose. In verse 9 it says, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Focus on the purposed in Christ, how he purposed your life in Christ. There's a purpose. Part of our identity is what is our purpose in Christ? Do you ever feel like you're in the dark? Maybe not literally, but maybe you're just clueless. You ever ever feel like you don't quite, there's this, you're not sure what's going on. Totally clueless. Both of our daughters, Brittany and Brianna, played sports in high school. And one of the traditions that their soccer team, they were three years apart, one of the traditions of their soccer team was to initiate new members when they made varsity. Okay, so when you made varsity, they did an initiation. The initiation would be that the older team members would come with parental permission and notification. Very important. With parental permission and notification. And they'd come to the new varsity player's home at 3 in the morning. They'd go into their bedroom and turn on the lights and wake them up and kidnap them. Then they took them to a central location, dressed them up in weird clothes, took them out for breakfast, and then made them go to school dressed up weird all day. Okay, I, I'm not advocating any kind of thing like that. But I will never forget the confusion and clueless look on their face when they're looking and saying, what is my soccer team doing in my bedroom at 3 in the morning? 
It's just, it was, it was, it was like crazy. And, and we have days in our life that we may feel kind of like, I just woke up and what is going on? When Jesus came, the entire nation of Israel was in the dark and they were clueless. They were clueless. When you look at the history between the Old Testament and New Testament, there's a 400-year period called the intertestamental period, and they had not heard the voice of God, God's prophetic word or God's word from a prophet, for 400 years. 400 years. That's almost twice as long as the U.S. has been in existence. They hadn't heard the voice of God for over 400 years. Living in this darkness, this lack of light. And here comes John the Baptist, followed by Jesus. Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, the whole nation was in this dark state, this, this cluelessness and despair. We can't even imagine. They're this, worshiping this God who seems to be silent. If you've ever experienced what seems to be the silence of God, he just not, you're not hearing it. He's not talking. They experienced as an entire nation, 400 years. They felt abandoned by God. They were ruled by the Romans. They were oppressed and enslaved. They were powerless. They were a nation that had been kidnapped. Then God sent Jesus to make known the mystery of his will, to reveal his purpose, to to reveal his plan in Christ so that they could once again discover their true identity, who they were. Verse 9 says, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. What was his purpose? His first purpose was the reconciliation of people to God. This was the, the great buyback, to reestablish the, the broken relationship. The bringing back of the, the boat to the rightful owner. The reconciliation of people to God. All through history, God is the seeking God who's always reaching out, going to reestablish relationship with his people and people that never knew him. Reconciliation of people. And this reconciliation happened, it says, when times reach their fulfillment. When times reach their fulfillment. When you study, study history and study the Word of God, you find out that, that timing, timing is very important. In fact, timing is really important in our lives today. Look at investments. If you buy stocks, you want to buy low, sell high. Timing is critical in athletics. If you're in basketball, the timing of hitting the cutter, going to the basket, is critical. If you're a baseball player, you can have the most incredible swing with a bat. If your timing's off, it's not, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. In football, timing, the, the block develops, then you go through the hole. Or the pass has to be timed exactly on the out route, or there's a pick six, or it flies into the stands. Timing, it's all timing, timing. One vivid memory I have about the importance of timing. When we, when we were in Tacoma, Washington, Lakewood actually, um, one of our parishioners was a captain in the army. Out of, it was then, it was, it was Fort Lewis, now it's Joint Base Lewis-McCord. 
JBLM is what it is now. And he was in charge of what was called an annual military demonstration. Now, I, I didn't serve in the military, and I saw stuff on TV just like you do. And I saw some of you served in the military. You know what this is all about. But they did a military demonstration. And we went on, on post, and we sat in bleachers. There were probably about five, 600 of us sitting in bleachers looking out over this really, really big field that went for several miles. And as we sat there, we looked out, and they, there was a narrator that was telling what was going on. You could see these, these structures out there that, that represented Russian tanks, okay? Russian tanks. And so those were tanks, and we heard... They said, now we're going to start with artillery. And so about 20 miles from these Russian tanks, which were about probably two miles from us, we saw these artillery coming. Boom, boom, boom. It was just this display of, of power. They just wanted to show this demonstration. So they, first they, they did the artillery strikes. And then the warthog jets. You've seen those warthogs. They have the two engines on the side of the tail, and they have Gatlin gun in the front. They came... And we didn't know what was going on. All of a sudden, over us, these Gatlin guns going, and you know, like three or four or five, six of these things coming and and spraying the 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 field out in front of us. And then the Apache helicopters came, firing Hellfire missiles. And then we couldn't see these Abrams tanks were kind of kind of concealed. All of a sudden, out of the ground, these Abrams tanks come up and they boom, they start shooting across. Okay, um, and then after they did all that. Then the troops went out. Okay, just a few. They didn't have to use very many. But this was to demonstrate timing. Now, you don't want to mess up timing in that kind of a scenario. They had an exact sequence of timing to soften it up and then get it ready for the, the troops to go. And, and I, I'll never forget the power of that and the thought of timing, how important timing was in all of that. When Jesus came, the timing was perfect. Timing was perfect. Said to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. Their fulfillment. In Galatians 4, 4 through 5, it says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Timing, the fullness of time. When you study the, the Word of God and you study the timing of, of Jesus' first coming, the first time he came, you discover there it was the fullness of time. It was the right time. The Roman Empire was in power, so there was one government in that great region. Greek was a universal language that just about everybody spoke. They had put in roads, and so travel was widespread. Communications were advanced. And the Jews were dispersed throughout the whole Roman Empire. So when the day of Pentecost occurred in Jerusalem, there were people from all over that Roman Empire that were Jews that were converted, and they all went home and took the gospel, the good news, to the entire Roman Empire. Timing. All put together by God. And I don't know if you've ever questioned God's timing. Say, God, I was supposed to have money by now. Or this bill was supposed to be paid. I, I was supposed to be married by now. I was supposed to be retired by now. I was supposed to be this. I was, you know, we, we question God's timing. God has a plan and a purpose that includes timing. Timing. 
Verse 10, it says, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. It's, it's bringing it all, letter C is bringing it all together. See, only God can do that, bringing everything together, taking all the pieces of our life, taking all the pieces of our world. Our world looks like it's in total chaos. Total chaos is crazy. Our nation. Don't be afraid and don't look at everything around. Be aware. Don't be alarmed. Ask God to show his hand in the middle of all this. Because no matter how much it looks like it's crazy, God is still in control. God's still in control. I've said this before because the battle we're, we're against is something called globalism. Globalism was putting everybody into one global government, and that's, and that's what everybody was planning to do. And the globalists have tried to put this into one world government for years. It's the uh, middle of the United Nations and all this stuff. Everything politically, most of political leadership in Washington, D.C. has been pushing us, and European leadership pushing us toward globalism. Now, we know, according to the Word of God, one day, there will be a one-world government and a leader that's called the Antichrist, okay? We know that's going to happen. And we don't know when. And I personally, I don't think it's going to happen for a while yet. At least not in the next week. No, I'm just kidding. It, it's not going to happen for a while. But, but we know that the pressure is... Remember, remember the, the, the Tower of Babel? Tower of Babel. They wanted to be one government and one voice and whatever so that nothing would be impossible for them. That's the vision of the globalists and they're trying to do that by forcing us to give up our national boundaries and our distinctions and become one world government. Okay, that pressure's been there. And there was one interrupter and no matter what you think of him, the one who interrupted everything and screwed everything up according to a lot of people. President Trump. He said, no, we're going to put America first. They said, no, because then European nations said, we're going to put our nations first, whatever, you know. So it just interrupted that. And that's why there's this huge conflict. And eventually it will be, it might be 200 years from now, there will be one world government led by an antichrist. Hopefully we'll be raptured as a church will be gone, um, whatever time that happens. But that's what's happening. And so all of that, God's not surprised you think God's surprised? And it's not ready yet for one world government. You just say that. And I believe that, that it's not going to happen yet. Okay? And God raised up a leader, no matter what you think of him, God raised up a leader to interrupt and stop that process. That's why everybody on one side of the spectrum hates his guts. Because he stopped their plan. Anyway, I, I wasn't, that's not in my notes. I was going to... But God, eventually, God brings it all together. He brings it all. He has a plan. He has a timing. He has all of these things. And so it doesn't mean we shouldn't be engaged and in, in involved in, in the political process and everything that happens. But it does mean that we shouldn't worry and get upset and live in this consternation all the time. That's why he said, I've given you peace. Not as the world gives you. I give you peace that transcends comprehension. Peace in the middle of that. So... Stop losing sleep and don't watch too much news. Let me just say that. Don't watch too much news. Stay informed and stay in peace. Okay, bringing it all together. Where were we? Taking all the pieces of our lives, taking the pieces of our world and making sense out of it. 
making sense out of it. Before I went to seminary and became a pastor, I was a music teacher. I directed band and choirs. And we were made of, bands are made of trombones, tubas, low brass, clarinets, flutes, trumpets, French horns, double reeds, oboes, and bassoons, saxophones, drums, percussions. You know all that. And some of you are band people here. Some of you are, uh, have training in band and orchestra, and you're studying an instrument now. And you know that the conductor will basically take different sections and rehearse each individual part and section until they're all ready to put it together. And then when you put it all together, it makes incredibly beautiful music. In the right timing, all the pieces are put together and is beautiful music. Well, God brings all things together under one conductor, one head, Jesus Christ, in order, things in your life and my life to make beautiful music, to make sense of it all. One conductor, one head, Jesus. God bought you back and revealed his purpose, and he can take all the parts of your life together so it, it makes sense. You say, you don't know how messed up my life is right now? No, I don't, but Jesus does. Jesus does. Jesus can bring anything together as long as Jesus is the one in charge under one head, Jesus. When we turn our life over to Jesus, he brings it all together. We discover our identity. Part of the great buyback next, and we looked at this a lot last Sunday, is number three, God chose us. God chose us, verse 11. We looked at this last week in depth. I, I was going to say go listen to the, the recording, but it's not there. Um, we'll, we'll figure out something. So, but anyway, God chose us according to a predetermined plan. It wasn't chance, it wasn't random. God chose you by plan. And it was according to God's will. It was, it was intentional, not accidental or random. Some people live life accidentally. I say accidentally because they kind of float here, float there. There's no plan, there's no purpose, no intention. God doesn't work that. God works with intentionality, a predetermined plan. It's not accidental. And you are part of that plan. You are part of that plan. So finally... After God bought us back, revealed his purpose, and chose us, number four, Roman number four, God displays his character through us. God displays his character through us. It says, in order that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. God's glory, God's character, shown and displayed through you. Me? Yeah, you. God wants to show off through you. God wants to show off through you. He wants to show who he is through you. Through our transformed lives, people that know we're not perfect, we're changed, but we show how God's power can change your life. Say, is that who I am? In Jesus Christ, yes, that is who you are. Valued by God. So God bought us back. God revealed his plan. God chose us. And God shows who he is through you. Who am I? Wow. The great buyback. Twice owned. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have a plan and a purpose and that you do incredible things through us. And I pray, God, that you'll give us a new sense of vision as to who we are in you. And God, that those that may not know exactly who they are and want to know you can find you.
Father, we know that you are a good Father. You love us, and I pray that we will live in the context of that love. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're all here today. Yes. <laughs> Let's close. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion and the power of the Holy Spirit be in abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Everybody honked amen. There you go. <laughs>